time on the Hitting the Line podcast. I don't think there's a lot to say about the Kevin Jones thing. He's playing really hot. He essentially won Portland Open. He's a great putter. We all know that. He can throw forehand and backhand. And he's a very, one of the top, one of the most precise backhand throwers in the game for sure, which is going to come in handy at the fort. Well, Jed, I think if we want to talk precision, uh, there's one person that we cannot miss, and that is James Conrad. He seems to be really coming into his midseason form. You know he's ripping putters better than anybody else on tour. I think he's going to be able to save a lot of strokes uh, by just playing reasonable and throwing accurate putter lines. James Conrad, let's see if he can get himself a world title. I'm not sure Paul has ever finished worse than second. He's the type of player that likes to play with a chip on his shoulder. So are we going to bet against him? I'm not. Due to the nature of the fort, it's anybody's game. A two-horse race, and I think we're going to probably come down to a two- or three-horse race in the FBO field. One part of her game that's underrated is her Woods Woods game. I really think she's like the fairway goddess, man. She can she can lay some of her fairway drivers into a tight-wooded fairway, and she makes it sometimes look really easy. Now, we know Kat can have her putting woes too, but she can also wow you with some of the some of her longer putts. So. Hello and welcome, disc golfers, to the Hitting the Line podcast. I am your host, Jad, and as per usual, I am joined by my brother, Nasser. How you doing, Nas? How you doing, Jad? We're fresh off possibly the best world's disc golf has ever seen. I would say hands down the best world championships. I, I mean, in recent memory, the only one that I could think of that compares is obviously the Ricky versus Paul battle 2014 in Oregon. That's right. Neither of us are probably old enough or have been playing long enough uh, to have anything uh, pre post-produced coverage to compare it to, but definitely number one in everyone's eyes right now. Yeah, I think in our, in our recorded history of disc golf on YouTube, like you uh, said, this is the best worlds we've ever been a part of. Um, and by a part of, I mean, we were just watching and listening and following along uh, Jed, I would love to talk about the moments we witnessed what I think we can now call the shot. The um, holy shot is what I'm seeing it labeled. Where were you? How were you following along? How did you react? How did the people around you react? So I was actually on my way home from a tournament. It was Going into hole 16, when I was able to pull up YouTube on my phone, I had it had my car on cruise control. I had it playing through the Bluetooth speakers, you know, glancing every now and then, but mostly just listening. And hearing hearing Kevin Jones go out of bounds on 16 was a heartbreaker because that's when I realized it was a two horse race. We got just 17 and 18 left. The commentators are talking about how flawless Paul's playing. And you're just, I root for greatness, yes, but at the same time, I'm always rooting against Paul Macbeth because I just want to see somebody take him down. Yeah, I guess we can call that the Tom Brady effect, right? Where someone's just been so good for so long that you want to respect it as much as you can, but you also cannot wait for someone to come along and beat that person. Absolutely. So hole 18 comes, and... Where where it starts getting interesting is after they they both tee off, Ian Anderson, 
I heard him get, so, he was so deflated. He said, is he out of position? Is there any chance he can run at the basket? And I oh. believe it was Philo. It could have been Doss, but the, the word down near the fairways was that, no, there's no chance he has to lay He's cut up. off. <clears throat> the other big thing. Yeah. I think Philo and Nate and Ian, I think right after that started saying halfway to climo, I think was literally one of the lines from the live coverage. So Paul at this point has this thing in the bag and the foreshadowing that is coming from Philo. He's there's, it would take. He's, I, th- I think he said it would take an absolute miracle for this to go his they, way. They, Team Discraft already had the six X Lunas. They already had the hot stamps ready to go. You that, know they did. I I didn't even. Honestly, I don't even know why I kept it playing. I really don't. Everybody was deflated, and they said it was over. He has to lay up. There's no chance at the basket. And when James throws it, and there's a dead silence. I'm hearing the reaction that you guys heard at the beginning of this podcast of Ian Anderson. And I am, so I'm in my car by myself. I start screaming, just absolutely screaming. I'm driving down the highway. I'm on cruise control, going the lowest speed you can go in the right lane, looking at the cars passing me, wondering why everyone else isn't freaking out. I'm literally looking to the cars next to me saying, do you have any idea what just happened? Uh, so the rest of the plebs that was my in the story. World, what about yours? The rest of the plebs in the world have no idea what they missed. Um, so my story starts off the day before, actually, in Bend, Oregon, where I was getting ready for a trip with some friends out on the water. Whenever I'm in Bend, I stop at Bevel, and I picked up two crawlers of beer. One was called Courtesy Vi- a Courtesy Violation, and it's a sour. And I bought that because it made me think of people's hatred for Nico. So I bought that. And then the other one was called The Comeback. And it's an IPA. Oh, no. And this was right after round four where Paul had just shot a 10 down, which is kind of that magic number at the four that's like an incredible round, right? He shoots a 10 down to make the lead card with a one-stroke lead going into Worlds. And right then and there, my mind is made up. I posted to the Slack group, guys, Paul's going to do it again, isn't he? And, you know, got a couple emoticons. Yep, he sure is. He's going to do it. And then I, we stay the night at our friend's house. The next morning we get up to go be on a boat for eight hours with no service. Get off the boat, get in the car, start driving back towards Bend. I tune in on the Disc Golf Network website right as they're starting hole 18. They're getting ready to tee off. I hadn't seen any of the drama beforehand, but I see that Paul has a one-stroke lead going into the final hole. And then, of course, we watch the final hole. Paul barely gets his shot inbounds. I was... I don't want to say upset. Of course, Paul Macbeth misses the out of bounds by a disc length. Now, how often have we seen that? <laughs> he he won DDO, I believe it was last year, due to the fact that his disc went out of bounds and it was it not called or it hit hit the flag girl or something. Oh yeah, there was like footgate where it hit someone's yeah. foot and stayed in bounds. Yeah, so and then he won by one. Stroke. Again, Paul gets this like seemingly incredibly lucky break, which I would never just put on luck. Paul is that good, but. And then James throws his shot, this beautiful laser beam, but it hits those trees directly on. And then, like you said, you start hearing this from Ian and Philo of it's over, it's over. We need this miracle. He needs this crazy shot. And then, of course, we all know the whole what happened shot. after that. Um, how do we continue on about this? Do we want to talk about the shot itself, 
the multiple reactions and uh, versions of this video that are out there on the internet for people to watch from every angle. I, the chills that you... Oh, hang on. Oh, I, I, I guess I never finished my story. So I'm watching it, and then the shot happens in the car. And I'm in the back seat with my fiance, and we're with our friends who are up, up front. I start freaking out. Oh, my God. Uh, my fiance gra- like grabs grabs me like, hey, chill. What's what's going on? I'm like, he just hit. I'm like trying to explain to you know three people who uh, only barely know about disc golf what just happened, and they are thinking like I'm crazy because I'm <laughs> losing my mind in this car with these three other people Absolutely. as as we're driving home. So I know some of you disc golfers out there can relate when the uninitiated don't know what they just missed, and then I knew we were going to playoffs. Jed, what what were your thoughts going into that playoff hole? Obviously, the first thought is. Paul's not going to lose this thing. He's Mr. Five-Time, most clutch player our sport has ever seen. You can go on and on. But alas, he he does lose. You can question the Raptor throw over the zone. But, you know, he went three for three previously with the Raptor. Who's going to tell him that it's – who's going to tell the five-time champ it's the wrong play? Maybe in theory it's the wrong play. He threw the Raptor. It skips out of bounds. All that is whatever. To me, it's it's just the fact that it happened to James Conrad. You couldn't ask for a more beautiful soul for this type of thing to happen to. Yeah, the fact that it happened to James um, is something kind of just, I don't know, serendipitous. Ex- the exact word. That's the yeah, perfect it just, description. Like you said, it could have happened to a better guy. You know, he came and played um, – the Salmon River Open in Northern California a couple years back, and he was one of the few like top top pros who was there. It's a big campout tournament, a big fun party ter- um, tournament. Not super big on the competing part, but I think James won, um, and he was just hanging out all night with the rest of us, playing can jam, playing catch. Super fun guy, just someone you want to root for. And so when it came down to him and Paul there, you know I was rooting for James at the end. My whole goal for Worlds as far as the finish goes, was to have a new one-time champion. Um, I would have loved to see Ricky get a third, but I was really pulling for someone like Kevin Jones or anybody to get their first one to kind of get that monkey off their back. And, well, now we have disc golf history forever with the shot on the MPO side. Now, I guess about six hours before that, or maybe four and a half or so hours before that, we had an incredible FPO finish too, which is why this is the best Worlds ever. It wasn't just a great MPO finish, which would probably be enough on its own. But, Jed, we also had an extremely unique finish in the FPO division. Um, it came down to kind of what we said before, which is going to be a two-horse race with maybe one other horse in the back. But, Jed, what happened on the FPO side, and where? what were the differences between the finishes of the FPO and the MPO side? Let's talk about the finish. Well, as far as the differences go, virtually none, which is actually kind of what makes it really, really funny and interesting. It came down to the same hole, hole 18. Which, which can we just stop and say what an excellent, perfect finishing hole, hole 18 is? Every course needs to take a note on the fort, on, on the fort of how that hole finishes with a well, tough tee shot out of bounds near the green. I mean, it just creates the drama. I mean, if that's just a boring open par three, we don't get the finish that we saw this weekend. Not, not only that, but um, I had heard earlier in the week that the course designer, forgive me that I don't know his name right now, the the whole idea about the fort was to have, um, you know, just 
with the bleachers lining hole 18. The whole point was for 18 to be the hole where it all happens. That's very Euro. That's very like European open, very like, yeah. With the stands and everybody lining the fairways and watching them walk up, up to the fairway all the way down to the finish. But back to the ladies, it was the exact same situation. Paige is up one, Cat's a little bit stuck behind. And let's talk about Cat's throw. This is about 100 feet back from where James was. Yeah, we're looking at a 360-foot shot. Probably, Yeah, probably 350-ish for sure. Yeah. And Katrina Allen throws the most perfect turnover Anheuser line that anybody listening to this podcast can throw, I'll tell you that. Yeah, I don't think we have very many 1030-rated folks out there who could throw. That's a 1030 shot, That's folks. a 1030 shot, dude. A lot of people out there listening maybe don't realize how great of a shot Cat had. Without James's finish, this is the shot of the tournament. That's the shot everybody's talking about. So about I don't James's want finish. to take anything away from Cat about how great her shot was. James's was a smidgen better, but her shot, how many AMs out there, most of you listening, can throw a placed onto basically almost an island, a peninsula-type green, a 360-foot Annie shot that lands perfectly. You can't. Well, I, I think Am was the wrong choice of words there. How many open players? Nobody at your local B or C-tier tournaments, even in the open field, are executing that shot with that pressure that Katrina And a it. lot of players this wow. weekend in the circle, come on. were not trying to execute that shot. People were trying to take par. People were not going for that birdie execution shot a very low percentage of people were going for that shot so it's safe to say she probably didn't have the practice doing that shot going into that i'm sure she practiced it but i don't i think she was hoping to probably just swoop up pars there and go about her day and be happy um, but knowing that she might have to on 18 i guarantee you she came into the scenario when she was practicing and thought if i have to get a birdie here how am i going to do it in in watching her put it in the circle and giving this incredible fist bump of confidence was something you just love to see out of Cat. Yeah, you and I were chatting before we were recording about how that's some of the most emotion we've seen from her as far as after a shot goes, and how it did not appear to me that she was afraid to step up to that 30-foot 30 30 putt, putt for birdie and bang it. Because as we said earlier, Paige played the whole kind of expecting her not to birdie, and you know, she really mis-executed her shot that led her to go OB and take a double bogey. And, on and that hole. blunder doesn't happen without Cat putting it in the circle there. Yeah. Um, and so for Cat just to step up to that putt, bang, or not bang it, she didn't bang it, um, she laid up. She didn't have to make it because then Paige went on to take a double bogey. Cat, if you remember, laid up, boop, put it right underneath the basket and then walked up, picked up her disc, put in the par to win the world championship she didn't yeah so she didn't bang that 29 foot putt or whatever but because she put herself in the position to do it um yeah i don't know that's just it was an incredible series of events the whole day at worlds and guys if you haven't checked out the footage please if you can watch the live so you could go back away we have great post-produced coverage go and watch that if you want to Support it. Give it a view. Support those crews who are out there doing that. But if you can watch the live versions of both of these rounds, even if you have to skip around a bit, I think it's really worth it to watch the live version. The DGN coverage gives me chills still after watching it probably a hundred times that the Jomez version uh, almost does. And it's still a great shot, but nothing like the raw emotion 
that you see watching it and listening to it live. So hats off to James Conrad and Katrina Allen for giving us the world championships we will never forget. But as usual on this show, we don't only talk about the winners of these tournaments. We talk about how we did, how were our entries this week, and how was the advice that we gave out? Well, if you listen to the midweek recap, you would know that the advice we gave out was really on par. We told you how to build the lineups and why we are building them the way we did. And we came out big after days one and two. So at this point, we were just looking to lock up the W. We gave out a single lineup to reduce our variance, and it hit. It was a $50 flex. It paid us off 75 That's a 50% payout. 50% is a huge number. But alas, day four was our first losing day. You can't win them all, but we stuck with the same strategy, trying to reduce the variance, pulling back on our volume to lock up the W. If Ezra's ace sticks, we win money. We lost because we had Ezra on the under, 58 and a half. He finished with the 61. The four, the one ace to a four bogey was the difference between going what ended up being five for five, the final day. I was so caught up in the tournament, my tournament that I personally played, James Conrad, Katrina Allen, that I hadn't even noticed until right before I went to bed, that we won huge again on day five. Again, follow us at underscore hitting the line on Twitter to see those results, who we picked, and how it played out. So what was our total for the weekend? Overall, across all five days, I placed $270 of wagers and came out at $790 for for a $520 profit. This is excellent. Yeah, I was going to say, Jed, that's a a pretty awesome score on a five-day week. Um, You know, it's not always going to turn out that way exactly. We had a lot of advantages going into this tournament that maybe even the lines makers didn't have. We've had years of watching the Utah Open. We've watched the Fort be played. The Utah Open was the week before this, so we got to watch some of the players actually play these rounds on the exact course the same way that they're going to be playing it in the tournament. And listening to our advice isn't always going to make you money. Um, I think I started Worlds with about $80 in my account, was up to 125 at one point, but I finished the week at 102 so probably somewhere like a you know 25% uh, ROI, which is fine too playing with just some fun money here but yeah we're not always going to crush like you did this week very well said Nas. i just want to re-emphasize that even when you are accurate with your predictions it does not go it does not mean you're going to make a lot of money as you can see with the disparity between my winning percentage and yours this week before we wrap up our three-part series to the disc golf world championships Nas, what's going on with you in the disc golf world? Anything uh, been treating you good? Throw any sweet lines, play any tournaments, hit any aces? What's up? Man, I wish I would have played some tournaments recently. Um, My last one was in May, but as you know, getting ready for the wedding and all of that, I haven't had as much time to devote the weekends to a tournament, but I have been going to league uh, this past month, and I actually have two league night aces in the month of June. 
one on Tuesday, June 1st, and then one two weeks later on the 15th where I cashed in a D-line breaker for $254. And then um, two weeks later, cashed in a, ooh, what was it? Uh, S No, Pro-Line Quake for another $100. DGA plug. And it was only $100 because another person in the league aced that same night, as well as a casual behind him also aced. So there were three aces at league night that night, so... It was definitely pretty special. Which is funny because our home course or your home course now that I've moved to the town nearby is not really an ace fest type of course, but alas, it happens. Yeah, holes four and five are pretty aceable, and those are the two that I hit. So I've got a couple aces this summer. Pretty stoked about that. Uh, Jed, you did play in a tournament this past weekend. Can you tell me how you finished? Because you actually didn't tell me, so I assume it didn't really go the way you planned. Uh, what was the course you played at? How did you shoot? And uh, how was it? Oh, and you even played a you played a tournament before that one even. So tell me yeah. about it. I just want to emphasize the courses that I played at. I didn't play very well. Um, I'm playing an MA1, even though I don't think I deserve to be there. Uh, the courses I played, specifically the one I just played, was in Dexter, Oregon. And so I'm sitting there on hole 10. I kid you not, Nas. I'm sitting there on hole 10, and I'm looking up the fairway, and I'm thinking to myself, how do I know this hole? Somebody has aced here before, and I know it. And then all of a sudden, I remember a day with Dave at Dexter. This is a, a YouTube video that Dave Feldberg posted more than 10 years ago when we first got into disc golf. And when, a time when we had literally seen every disc golf YouTube video available there was. And sure enough, I pulled it up right then and there. I kid you not, because I was like starstruck. How did I end up here? Me and Nas being from Ohio, how did I end up at this course? It was the course that Dave Feldberg had been at, and he did ace the hole that I was looking up the fairway at. And I just, anyways, beautiful course. Um, you're going to have to play it sometime, Nas. It's extremely fun, has all the shots. I, like I said, I didn't play well, had a lot of great insights. I was, uh, so it was a two day tournament. I woke up Sunday morning and I'm reading Andrew Fish's recap on Twitter of his worlds. And he was talking about how he felt like he was suffering from imposter syndrome. If you don't know what imposter syndrome is, it's essentially where you don't believe you are who you are. You don't think you deserve to be there. You uh, you start doubting your skills. You are asking yourself, you know, do you deserve this? And I went into Sunday telling myself, why have I been doubting my skills all along? How many 30-foot putts have I banged in my life? Alas, Sunday was much better than my Saturday as far as the tournament goes, and I was just feeling grateful, uh, threw a lot of really sweet lines, improved a lot on Sunday. Even though my score only showed it by a couple strokes, it felt like it was more than 10 strokes. So had a lot of fun. I've been playing a lot of tournaments. Now I'm just going to be getting into my workout routine grind, getting ready for the next season. I probably won't play another tournament until fall. What about you? Well, post-wedding, uh, which is going to be coming up here the weekend of July 4th, um, my fiance and I are going to be hiking the John Muir Trail, which are, for those of you guys who maybe don't know what that is, it's a 230-mile hike in the Sierra Nevada mountains in California. It's going to take us about three weeks to complete, so I, w I probably won't be around to record then. Um, but I'm hoping to get back to the tournament scene and get back to playing more consistently once my uh, life slows down a little bit. When school starts again, um, speaking about imposter syndrome, that's something I can relate to on the disc golf course and in life as well. Sometimes it's easy to forget that, you know, you belong somewhere, even though you may feel like, well, I'm just a 
guy who likes insane clown posse and plays disc golf. What am I doing teaching a fourth grade classroom? Uh, so I have, I've had that thought before too. Um, but in disc golf terms, I think we can feel that we're experienced, good am players. And maybe sometimes we don't give ourselves the credit we should. And we maybe play at a level lower to maybe what we've been used to. So hopefully uh, in the fall, you and I both can start playing some more tournaments. I think we've both made a huge growth ratings wise in our tournament play, but just in terms of our skills, what we're able to do with the disc, you know, in this past year and a half or two years, I've learned how to throw a putter, which took me 10 years to learn how to do. Uh, you're throwing your rocks, your rock shots and FD shots better than I've ever seen you throw those. We're both hitting distances we've never thrown with accuracy. So we have a lot to look forward to in disc golf. And before we give our shameless plugs here, uh, yeah, I guess the next part of my disc golf journey is um, maybe sometime in the future, I, I hope to be some type of uh, athletic swings and mechanics coach for disc golf. Just started a mobility uh, and stu- stability routine with a movement specialist. So I'm going to be looking more um, towards that realm and let my disc golf form play out once I start feeling stronger uh, in my body and moving better. Uh, that's that's where I'm taking my on-the-course endeavors at is going to be through the gym, through movement, through... I'm, I'm going to be channeling my inner Ricky Wysocki, I guess, uh, before I really start hitting the scene hard again. But definitely looking forward to getting in that field practice, and I'll be putting the whole time. All shameless right, plugs? Let, oh, yeah. Go ahead. Shameless plugs. You know them better than I do. Sure. Uh, so follow our podcast on Twitter at underscore hitting the line and you can find me at uh or on twitter at ht nasser h-t-n-a-s-s-e-r we like to talk about disc golf on twitter and me at jad underscore rehan that's j-a-d underscore r-i-h-a-n um if you want to ask us any questions if you want to interact with us uh shoot us a message via our gmail that is at hitting the line podcast at gmail.com. I guess you wouldn't say at hitting the line, but it's hitting the line podcast at gmail.com. Say whatever you want. Say what up. Ask us a question, whatever you got. Yeah. Quick too. I want to give a quick shout out to one of our Twitter followers who interacts with us on on a regular basis. I believe his name is Matt Winters. Yes. So Matt, if you're out there listening, thanks for sharing your lines with us, sharing your success. I think you made some money this week too. So until next time, guys, we will catch you. Uh, Have a wonderful day, weekend. We hope you enjoyed Worlds. Keep slinging them dicks.